4: Friday morning, the 10th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Interest rates, as you know, are set to increase next month for the first time in 11 years.
5: Russia's unjustified aggression towards Ukraine is severely affecting the euro-area economy. And the outlook is still surrounded by high uncertainty.
4: High uncertainty, that's uh, the bad news. But there was uh, some good news from the ECB yesterday. But
5: the conditions are in place for the economy to continue to grow and to recover further over the medium term.
4: That's good news, uh, but it was short-lived and soon turned back to bad news.
5: Inflation is undesirably high and is expected to remain above our target for some time.
4: But it wasn't all bad news.
5: We will make sure that inflation returns to our 2% target over the medium term.
4: How they do that is probably where some of that good news ends and uh, it's more bad news. We
5: intend to raise the key ECB interest rates by 25 basis points at our July Monetary policy meeting.
4: And the bad news from the ECB looks likely to get worse as time goes on.
5: Looking further ahead, we expect to raise the key ECB interest rates again in September.
4: In September, so that's 0.25% plus 0.25% combining to increase rates by a half a percent in September, but it could well be worse than
5: that. If the medium term inflation outlook persists, or deteriorates, a larger increment will be appropriate at our September meeting.
4: Another 0.25%, adding on to that half a percent and interest rates could increase by three quarters of a percent, possibly
5: by September. And beyond September, based on our current assessment, we anticipate that a gradual but sustained path of further increases in interest rates will be appropriate. In line with our commitment to our 2% medium-term target, the pace at which we adjust our monetary policy will depend on the incoming data and how we assess inflation to develop in the medium term.
4: Christine Lagarde making that announcement yesterday, telling us effectively that there's no end in sight. David Hall is uh, the CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association and uh, joins us now. Good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I suppose there was no great surprise uh, in uh, that announcement from the ECB yesterday, but uh, there's not much more good that can be said about it.
6: <clears throat> no, I don't think there's any good news in it. I think we've been, we've been, we've been accustomed to being drip fed uh, bad expectations for the last number of months given the crisis that's there at the moment and the, the cost-of-living crisis. I think it, it is a big challenge. It is a major challenge for many people who have been at lower rates for the last uh, decade. Um, but ultimately, this has come, and we discussed this before, Michael, with a whole clatter of uh, cost-of-living increases. Yeah. Um and this really is unprecedented in this regard because it's not just a single interest rate increase that's coming in relation to mortgages. Mm. You, know, you heard Christina Garden your <clears throat> clip is very good where it brings us up, brings us down, brings us back up again, brings us back down again. But ultimately the last part of it in relation to her potential for September, flagging very early, very clearly that there's a 05 percent rate rise coming at least in September. Mm. Like, for anyone on a tracker who's, you know, been on a one percent tracker rate, that now brings them to a one point seven five. It's 70.
4: Oh oh dear Uh, We've uh, lost the line there Obviously with uh, David Uh, We'll try to get David back On uh, the phone But this is Where it starts to get shocking Because as David was saying you go from uh, 1 to 1.75 percent. And if your mortgage is 300,000 euro, if you have a mortgage on a 300,000 euro house, you're talking about 40 euro a month for every 0.25 percent increase. So that's 80 euro a month for a half a percent, and then obviously 120 euro for one and uh, for 0.75 percent. And over the course of a year, that would really result in 1400 euro a year it's an incredible amount of money on top of what you're already paying uh, i think we've david uh, uh, on the line i hope i have those figures right david
6: yeah no you do have uh, michael that. It's, it's funny we can send we can send people to the moon and <laughs> can't get the mobile phone signal right <laughs>
4: yeah.
6: um yeah no i, I think i think no, your figures are correct and, and i think you're right it's a lot of money and it's a lot of money when you have a choice now to make and, and not really a choice to feed your family um, to clothe yourself to heat and we haven't come to the winter like September right on the cusp of the winter um, will be the next rate rise and, and you read her tone and read her demeanour and you know this is all caveated heavily and you, your clip said that very well this is caveated very very heavily in respect of things not worsening um, and therefore we don't know what's going to happen so I think it's a very precarious time for many people in the country um, many poor people have already been poor or already um, discriminated against and always have been and many others who've got mortgages, average mortgages, and their average figures you are giving, uh, one of the the elephants in the room, by the way, is there's a natural assumption being made when people are commentating on mortgages that the rate in the country, the average rate in the country, is an average rate, but it is only an average. There are many people on 35 and 4% Mm. already paying higher repayments per month, which this amount will make a very big difference to um, because they're already stretched, and many people who've been surviving for the last number of years and indeed the last 12 months with this cost of living increase. So I think it's a very precarious position. I think some serious choices will be made by families and households. And I think it will put banks under immense pressure. Um, and the government must act And I read disappointingly that um, uh, Pascal who at a meeting of NAMA, or an event hosted by NAMA, spoke to the press afterwards saying that they weren't looking at any intervention in relation to cost of living, which I find most disappointing and ill-advised, because this is a time I, I, I've never felt and sensed uh, an uncomfortableness from uh, cohorts of people even since even after recession i think this time is different people are really annoyed have had enough and weren't ready were disarmed after recession to to voice their views and their opinions uh this time i've sensed that to be a bit different
4: if you haven't fixed your mortgage yet uh, there's probably little you can do at this stage about the increase in july or is there
6: mm-hmm. No, well, you can try and fix, but the rate fixes have been brought in. So, with with, with one of the organisations I work with, Icare Housing, we got notification yesterday. Our fixed rate for Icare Housing is increasing, um, with from with AIB, whom we borrow from to buy social houses. So, you know, the the, the banks will have taken uh, stand on this already, and over the last number of weeks, will have been preparing for this rate rise. It has huge implications, though, and. Um, Uh, Michael, if you've got a loan purchased, even a functioning loan purchased and a performing loan by a vulture fund, Mm. many of the vulture funds do not even offer fixed-rate mortgages and have have not offered them if you've been looking for the last six months. And despite Mm. being reassured by the Department of Finance and the Central Bank that your right to uh, transfer to a vulture fund, um, those rights uh, are referred to in relation to a boring process involving mortgage arrears, but they failed to recall and failed to protect consumers in relation to a product being provided by Vulture Funds in a fixed-rate mortgage. And a lot of loans have been sold, and I'm talking about performing loans. Traditionally, people think Vulture Funds are only associated with non-performing and, and loans that are in arrears, mortgages mm. that are in arrears. But they have many hundreds of thousands of loans that are performing. Are you locked
4: in there? Can you can you move? Can you switch?
6: You you can move. Um, and, and again, the difficulty now for moving would be a stress test. The adjustment for stress testing, I I... I You can see has changed. So Mm. you know they will now look at Michael Reed saying, "Can Michael pay a mortgage back of two hundred grand at at one percent or two percent or three percent?" Now they add on an extra one percent or one point five percent and say, "How, if circumstances change, will Michael get on in four years' time?" So Mm. the whole application process uh, becomes a lot more difficult for people trying to apply. So this has a huge effect on people already crippled and already under pressure. And I do believe we will see some significant stress and pressure from families that's already in existence but worsen to a much wider cohort of people as you say 1400 euros is a lot of money in the context of that, some people's annual budget for their entire holidays.
4: Yeah, well, absolutely, yeah, and uh, I mean, Christine Lagarde uh, doesn't know where this is going to end, and talks about the uncertainty <laughs> because of uh, the war and other issues. Uh, I take it, uh, but there's a, a gamble then, I suppose, for some people. Uh, you mentioned people on a, a tracker; if uh, they're on a one percent rate, uh, and they're going to go now to one point two five, and you probably expect one point seven five uh, by September. Uh, that's still not bad. Should they be fixing or should they be hedging their bets?
6: Well, the challenge with fixing is their fixing option is going to be way higher than 1.75. So the lowest fixing rate in the States at the moment, I think, um, the ICS, and they, they all come caveated with loan-to-values where some of the some of the lenders give you a better fixed rate when it comes to the yeah. fact that you owe only half your mortgage, the value of the house. So, yeah. you know, I, I fixed last year a green energy rate with AIB for 215, 1, 5, 2.15 which was the lowest at the time and still remains one of the lowest. But you just give your own example there, Michael, which is a great one. You go from 1% to 1.75 and your option to fix is 2.1%. That's mm. going to be a very difficult barrier but, for someone to come at a very low
4: rate. But there's where the gamble lies, uh, does it not? Uh, yeah. Because you, you could hold off and say 1.75 is fine, uh, but we could be looking at it increases every quarter uh, of a quarter of a percent or half percent or 1% or God knows. Uh, and I think you said that worst case scenario, you expected uh, to increase by maybe 6% uh, when you spoke to us about a month ago.
6: Yeah, like it's just, it's so difficult to, to and it is, the word you use is a gamble. And, and, and it's a very, very difficult um, position for people to find themselves in because, you know, do you do you fix and do you take a chance? I think there's a massive amount of uncertainty there at the moment and there's all of the reasons that Christine Lagarde mentioned and all the ones we know at the moment. I, I would like to see uh, some government intervention around the cost of fuel, the cost of food, with the relevant taxes being adjusted to give some protection there. If that happened, you might be a little bit more confident and not need to take as big a gamble by fixing. But I, I, I think it really depends, Michael, on the rate being mm. offered and th- those rates we're not going to know about until after today because since yesterday's announcement they'll all be factored in and and also in advance not only will July's increase be factored in um, September's rate will be factored in and again is it likely that if you're factoring them in from a banking perspective would you not add on 0.5% probably sensible to add on another 0.5% just Mm. to be safe not not for them to get caught short
4: Well I suppose that's the question I'm asking if you're paying 1% at the moment on a a tracker uh, and you're looking at uh, what's left at the end of the month and you're saying there's no way I could survive if it went to 3, 4, 5% type of thing uh, if you can fix that 2.1 uh, is that what you'd advise?
6: Yeah I think I think that's where you need to make a call between one, the gap between 1.7 and the fixed rate the smaller that gap is it has to be worth your while um, looking at fixing but also remember someone who's been on 1% Michael isn't used to three quarters um uh, an extra percentage point mm. or three quarters extra charge on the mortgage per, per, mm. per month They've been used to that for 10 years. Their entire lifestyle has been adjusted to deal with that. And any reserves and any extra money they have already, food, clothing, heating, fuel, have taken a chunk out of that. Mm. So I think, you're, I think the, the concern would be if it's believed or felt and, and generally, you know, that rates would go much higher than what's been looked at for the end of this year, then fixing, once the banks don't gouge at the fixing rates, has to be worthwhile for certainty in a very uncertain world.
4: Okay, if you could afford uh, the interest rates to go up to five or six percent, uh, should you hang on and see if that what happens, uh, yeah, because they I, may I, not go as high I as They may not that. go
6: that high, and, and, and yeah. not anyone I think can yeah. afford that, because many people who have been, even in recent years in borrowing, you know, the, the borrowing criteria was three and a half times people's salaries, and banks were stress tested. Those um, loans, they wouldn't have stress test them to that level, Michael. Like mm. this is a massively difficult situation for everybody, and I feel apart from the stress, that people will be under and genuine pressure. I feel banks and vulture funds will get stung here, um, and you know because many people will leave them correctly, so as being last to pay to make sure that they can feed their families, fuel their homes and their cars, and ensure that they're warm. And um, I think not many people can allow that to happen. I think that's where the real stress will come. That once you go beyond. Uh, 0.5 and, and mm. 0.75 you will need certainty and uh, but don't forget in six months time if you're looking for certainty that certain the price of that certainty has gone up again
4: Alright well it'll be a, a very uh, nervous Christmas I, I take it for some people uh, as expected or uh, if as expected the rates increase increased by 0.75 um, do you expect that if they go past that you'll be looking at repossessions like I think there's
6: been there's been so there's currently there's twenty four thousand households in mortgage arrears that are older than longer than five or ten years. I find it very, very difficult, Michael, and you and I have debated this robustly mm. over the years, as of other commentators, and I've been a staunch, correctly advised and correctly taking the line that a bank in circumstances where you don't pay your mortgage can legally repossess your home. Many, many thousands of loan houses have been repossessed and voluntarily surrendered. But there are twenty four thousand people who are in long term mortgage arrears According to the banks and the Central Bank, there's 16,000 of those households they believe will lose their homes, yet they have not lost their homes. I find it very, very difficult to strongly scare someone into saying they're at imminent risk of losing their homes and mm. um, when the evidence at currently provides uh, that that's not the case. And it's a very difficult situation because it's not the right thing to advise someone to do not to pay the mortgage. Mm. There is a risk, there is a technical risk. But if you were to look at the the evidence that's before me, the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation has never been as quiet in its lifetime in history of 10 years at the moment. So much so, we're restructuring the organisation at the moment because many banks have not issued proceedings against um, people who are in mortgage arrears. I don't know if they're going to give them a free house. I don't know what they're going to do. But ultimately, there's evidence there from the banks and the vulture funds that say they believe 16,000 households, 48,000 people, will lose their homes. That's their numbers, not mine. And I'm saying to somebody, you should be paying a mortgage because you're at risk of repossession and they're looking at me if to say, you're right, David. Are you serious? I'm in my house for 10 years and I've not seen any repossession. So it's a very, very mixed message. It's a very difficult situation and uh, we find ourselves in a very awkward spot at the moment where the right thing to do is to encourage people to pay the mortgage. But if I'm hungry, And I'm cold and I need to get to work. Hmm. I'm prioritising those over any mortgage.
4: Okay. (laughs) He was there for the moment, David. Thank you indeed for joining us as always. David Hall is uh, the CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association and co-founder of iCare Housing.
3: Michael Michael Reed on
4: on LMFM. LMFM. Now, we'll be speaking uh, with uh, Minister Damien English uh, a little bit later on in uh, the programme, uh, and I believe uh, the Minister will be updating us on uh, the hospital situation in Navan. As you know, uh, a meeting is to take place on Monday between uh, the public representatives and indeed the Minister as well as HSE officials. There's uh, a lot of speculation about what might come from that meeting and we should have an update, as I say, later in the programme today from Minister Damien English on the future of services in Our ladies' Hospital in Navin. Stay with us for that. Paddy Duffy in touch with us uh, this morning by text. Thanks as always uh, for your message to the programme, Paddy. And Paddy's. Says the government has to be very careful with uh, the way it's treating the public right now. Remember, our people have taken the financial crash. Fianna Fáil, then austerity Fine Gael, COVID housing and the health crisis and now uh, there is this massive increase in the cost of living. He says, I don't think people can take much more. As I said, the government needs to be very careful just now. Thank you indeed Paddy Duffy for your message to the programme. Now, let's uh, talk about uh, the system of direct provision. As you know, Uh, There is a plan in the Programme for Government to end the system of direct provision. This is where people seeking asylum in this country are, for a large part, provided with uh, food and board and uh, weekly allowance stipend. uh, And that uh, is more or less the situation until they uh, get immigration status. Uh, But... Uh, whilst there is this plan to end the system of direct provision, there's 40% more people living in direct pre- provision than was the case a-, a year ago when there was 8,260 people living in direct provision. That's increased now to 11,689 people. Nick Henderson is uh, the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council and joins us now. And A very good morning to you, Nick, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, that's a-, a disappointment, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, it is a disappointment and it, it may be for your listeners just to give a bit of background about why it's happening. It's for three reasons. Firstly, there is an increase in the number of people seeking protection in Ireland. Uh, that's against the backdrop of the pandemic where numbers dropped very considerably and they're now rising again. Uh, and then secondly, there are very considerable delays in the asylum process if you applied for asylum today, it's unlikely that you'd have a decision within, on current projected figures, within a decision within two years. And then finally, for those people who do get status, it's becoming harder to leave. And I think there is approximately 2,500 people who are living in direct provision who, in theory, can leave, but in practice can't because
4: of the mm-hmm. housing crisis. Okay. So
2: there's,
4: it, no, there's nowhere for yeah. them to go or they can't afford to go yeah. somewhere, as the case may be. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it is a situation of concern uh, and we've said this week and and uh, in the recent past that the government need to focus again on the commitment to, to end direct provision I think personally it is unlikely that that will this commitment will be met uh, by the deadline of the end of 2024 which is isn't really too far away mm. uh, but even if it isn't met by then there needs to be a strategy uh to, to implement the commitment and, and and end this system uh within the within the near future but it is a challenging situation as well let's not forget there there is we're welcoming many refugees from ukraine which is very important uh and i think one of the things that we said yesterday was an all-of-government approach which is important a lot of this responsibilities fall falling to the Department of
4: Children. Well, I, uh, I take it that the refugees from Ukraine are not counted in these numbers.
2: No, exactly, um, they're not. Oh. Now, there may be some people from Ukraine who have applied for, for asylum, who didn't receive what's called temporary protection, which we've spoken about before in this program? Uh, temporary protection was, uh, is a, a, it's been on the on the books, if you like, for for more than 20 years, but it's never been activated. It was activated after the Russian invasion. So all Ukrainian people who fled after the Russian invasion are entitled to that across the European Union. Some, Mm. particularly at the beginning, may have entered the asylum process because they're at a particular profile or at risk, uh, say from the Russians or or so forth. So some of those people, but it's not many, I think it's only something like 150 or 200. Mm. And this is
4: the highest number of people in direct provision ever in this country. Uh, It's uh, higher than when it peaked uh, last time in 22, I think, in April. Oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah, uh, in 2002. No, I in 2002, was, yeah.
2: Yeah, 2002 mm-hmm. it would be. That was the. I, I'd ha- I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's mm. certainly getting close. It, it was above. very
4: close, 11,600 yeah. then. It's now 11,689. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But this uh, at a time when the numbers you would have hoped would be coming down. And as you say, there are reasons there's the housing crisis uh, and things like uh, COVID, uh, which uh, would have stopped uh, a lot of uh, the work. Uh, but we've seen examples of how 35,000 people or thereabouts can come to this country and don't have to wallow in the system of uh, direct provision, uh, which has been the case for many of uh, the these people and we've also seen uh, the amnesty for people living in this country introduced uh, why have the figures not come down because of the amnesty?
2: Well I think that's one of the points is that the figures of people who have status in other words have received the positive positive decision through the regularisation process they are starting to increase and therefore the number of people with status will increase. So these figures may eventually even themselves, not even themselves out, that's mm. not the right phrase, but drop slightly if it, it becomes gradually easier to leave direct provision. But there's several processes going on at the same time, one of which is the regularization process, which may be partly resu- as a result of this. But there's there's so few op- opportunities for somebody to move out in terms of the lack of pr- affordable private private rented sector or uh, affordable hat. Properties, for example. Mm. Um, so it, it, that's, it, I think the decisions are starting to come through in the regularization process. I think the deadline is the end of July. So there's really only two months left, less than two months now. Uh, and, and that is an important uh, measure by the government. It's one that we very much welcomed um, as, it, as it, to, to try and deal with this very considerable back- backlog that also exists.
4: Okay, uh, and nearly five thousand people are in emergency uh, accommodation. Uh, apparently, uh, I take it that's feeding into other problems in the country. We've seen uh, the cost of hotels uh, in Dublin four or five hundred euro, uh, but it wasn't just hotels. B and and hostels and everything were charging a fortune.
2: Yeah, I—I I, being honest, Michael, I don't know if the two are related. Mm. You know that that I think there may be other pressures on the hotel system. Um, for example, shortages of staff, or a huge boom in after the pandemic built up demand for for holidays and so forth. So I don't know if they are uh. Uh, they are if they are connected. But what is obvious is that this is also a, a, an expensive process for the state. Let's not let's be clear yep. about mm-hmm. that. And th- there's probably very little, if at all any, you know, value for money uh, in in the state in this process. It's uh, short-term, high expenditure, uh, with little um, medium or long-term thinking involved, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, well, the long-term thinking uh, (laughs) has shortened, obviously, since uh, the White Paper and the Programme for Government. Uh, This should all uh, be finished. This system of uh, direct provision should be finished uh, by December of 24. Have you any confidence that that will be the case?
2: I, being honest, Michael, I don't. I just don't see how that's po- that's possible now. And I think the the fault lies with the government for that. But there's also em- sort of environmental or, or things that are going on. For example, the, the Ukraine crisis that have affected it as well. So I would be very surprised if that commitment was met. I think there is some good work being done by government, but it's at risk of being overwhelmed by other problems and me- issues of, mm. at the same time. So I I think it may be necessary for the state, and I think Minister Roderick O'Gorman has already said said this in the Dáil, that that that, that date is under pressure and is in doubt. Um, But maybe it's an opportunity for us to sort of look again, for the state to look again at that goal and see how they can realistically get to it soon, even if not by the end of 2024, which is... Where are we at now? Two and a half years away if it's the end of 2024. So it's still a long way to go. Um, But on current projections, I think it is, as you've said, given the number of people in, in direct provision, I think it's unlikely.
4: Okay, Nick, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme. Nick Henderson is uh, the CEO of the Irish Refugee Council.
3: Michael Michael
4: Reid on LMFM. The signage season is underway, and uh, the Road Safety Authority, together with the Irish Farmers Association, are appealing to motorists to take care on uh, the roads as uh, the number of tractors, trailers, and other farm machinery become very visible and indeed sometimes. inconvenient uh, as I think we hear every year from people who are disgruntled one of uh, the messages uh, coming uh, this year from the Road Safety Authority to farmers is to Stop and let other vehicles pass by if traffic is building up behind a tractor. Let's speak to Paul O'Brien, who's the Environment Chair of the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association. Good morning to you, Paul, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. It's a very, very busy time of the year, undoubtedly, for farmers, but there can be a lot of frustration on the roads.
7: Well, good morning, Michael, to you and your listeners. And yes, I can understand that uh, any road user would be... Never like to be held behind a slower-moving vehicle. Um, And, look, everyone has busy lives. But really what we're looking for at the moment is just a little bit of understanding from everybody. Um, It is a busy time on farms, as you've said. Tractors, combines that will be out probably in the next six weeks, they are big, slow-moving vehicles. So we would ask everybody just to have a bit of patience. Those vehicles, they need to get on with their daily work and... um, as soon as there's an opportunity, they should pull over to so let as many people pass as possible. But really, I suppose, Michael, the key message is, is that everyone has to have an understanding. Everyone's a road user. Everybody has responsibilities, and there's nothing as bad as an accident and um, you know the carnage and, and the, the the crisis that happens after that. So, so I'm just appealing to everybody today, particularly the farming community. Mm-hmm. If you do have an opportunity, pull over. When it's safe to do so, and let traffic pass you by.
4: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and stay calm if you're behind a, a tractor. It's a, a two-way street, isn't it? Respect uh, going both ways.
7: And look, um it, it really is. And I do, uh, but I do feel that um you no know, accidents are accidents by their definition. They happen because something's gone wrong. And um, but you know, obviously. People are working to deadlines. They want to be at a certain place at a certain time. It's better to be a couple of minutes late and be there than not be there or something going wrong and a whole series of problems then created after. Mm. And an unfortunate thing, uh, Michael, I was. I'm here in Kilkenny, and um, I came across a fatal accident there last weekend myself. So it's kind of very visual in my mind the carnage that the, the problems that can happen as a result of. second decision-making process Mm -hmm. that's gone wrong. So
4: it's, you know, it's very hard. It's it's completely irreversible and uh, something that uh, you may not live uh, to regret, uh, uh, unfortunately. Uh, That's the reality of the situation. But it it is that level of frustration that would be of concern to people. Uh, I suppose uh, uh, another thing to take into account is uh, that some people will tell you they can't be late uh, because they're on their way to work. Uh, Is that something that farmers take into consideration do they think about the times of day that they go out on the roads uh, and instead of going out uh, at rush hour at 8 or half 8 in the morning that maybe they'd leave until 10 or 11?
7: Well, I think, Michael, I think, you know, you are in very much in your heartland, your your listenership is a very, very busy farming area. Those people are working very, very long hours. A lot of those people, their day starts maybe 6 o'clock in the morning and they're probably during the middle of particularly silage season or cutting season, there's windows of opportunity, and they're trying to maximise those windows of opportunity. So this is really the the most important aspect of this. Everybody has to have due concern for other road users. If there isn't an ability for a farmer to pull over, to let that traffic go by, then do it. But if it's a normal farming operation, cutting silage, those machines, they're very expensive. The farmers need to to get silage in You know, with windows of opportunity, with weather, they're under pressure as well. And my appeal is to both sides of this. Farmers have to be allowed to be able to do their work. But most certainly, farmers have to be very, I suppose, considerate to let other road users pass them when the opportunity and the safe opportunity allows that to happen.
4: And to leave the road uh, as they found it, uh, that's a, another complaint that people have uh, after tractors uh, have uh, been transporting materials that half of it falls off uh, the trailer.
7: Well, we wouldn't like half of it to fall off the trailer, but obviously if the farmer is bringing, coming from a muddy field onto a road, there is a, he needs to tidy that up. He needs to make sure that as that much of the tractor's tyres are cleaned as possible before he actually goes onto the public road. So there is a known on, on, on the farm as well. But obviously, you know. Particularly certain times of the year, as we go into the autumn, where you harvested maybe make crops of maize and crops of butter beet, and those type of crops that would be the autumn harvested crops. There's a considerably more onus, yes. But however, every time of the year, the farmers have to have to be aware that if they are bringing mud onto the road. It is their obligation to clean it up.
4: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, although it doesn't happen, some will testify, uh, and uh, that's uh, unfortunate. Uh, other uh, people get uh, very upset uh, after coming uh, across uh, tractors uh, and uh, feeling uh, that uh, they weren't as slow moving as perhaps they have liked to them to have uh, been going. Some of these tractors can go very fast, can't they? And they can be quite big uh, and intimidating vehicles, especially vehicles, especially if they're coming at you on the other side of uh, the road, because uh, they can cross uh, the centre line.
7: The vast majority of these tractors, and even my own tractor, it's got a 40 kilometre. You know, limits are. I can only go to forty kilometres. Some of the bigger ones can go up to fifty, but you know, they are big machinery by by their demands. There's a need for big machinery now because we just don't have the same level of farmer operators out there. You know, gone as a day when there was five or six people. You know, mm-hmm. now you're lucky to get maybe three or four people to work. You know, in, in like a in or farming, a big harvesting event. And I would suggest, Michael, that look, this is a this is an opportunity to for everybody, just a little bit of common sense, understanding everybody's busy, but everybody has an obligation to look after everybody. And um, I think this is really one of the, the, the key messages that the IFA, with the Road Safety Authority, are trying to get out there. What we don't want is headline figures. Hmm. What we don't want... Farming's a difficult job enough, and it's a, it's a very, very dangerous job, even at the best of times. So what we're trying to say to people is, is that make sure just to reduce the chances of an incident happening. Have courtesy for other road users. Other road users just have to also understand farmers don't want to be going, you know, blocking traffic, but they have a job to do as well. So it's just, you know... community effort for everybody. Try and get everybody along the line and everyone
4: home at night safely. Well, I suppose the other thing, Paul, is that the tractors are going to be on the road, Uh, so if you've uh, a journey to make factors into your journey time, uh, don't be surprised uh, to come across tractors, uh, because they will be there. Paul, we leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Paul O'Brien is the Environment Chair of the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association. Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM. Well, inflation hasn't risen like this since 1984. It's an incredible situation that we find ourselves in. The rate recorded by the CSO yesterday was at 7.9%. Uh, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, uh, r- has risen by 7.8% in the year to May uh, and that's up from an annual increase of 7% in the year to April. They're expecting to see more increases uh, on top of these increases in the coming weeks and months. Let's uh, speak uh, to Minister of State for Business, Employment and Retail, Fine TD for me, the West, Damien English who's on the line. Good morning Minister and thank you indeed for joining us. There, so some hard times for a lot of people at, at the moment and it would seem much harder times to come.
1: Look, Michael, I think it's, it's fair to say, yes, we're in a very difficult stage. Uh, inflation, as predicted, has gone extremely high uh, and, you know, there's no sign of it relenting over the next couple of months. So we have to plan for a difficult autumn and a difficult spring in relation to inflation. Of course, everybody hopes that costs will come back down. But, you know,
0: we're working with to Department of finance,
1: we, we have to assume prices will stay high and inflation will stay, stay high for the next 6-12 months anyway. Uh, and we will plan to deal with that both this year and next year. Uh, it's difficult times for, for families, there's no doubt about that. And certainly as we come into the autumn, it will get difficult as you know, the cost of eating our homes and that comes back on into play as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the work now over the next couple of months will be preparing the budget response to that to assist uh, low-income families, uh, fixed-income families, the squeeze middle as well, who are trying to make all costs meet and try to address some of the pressures here, and I'm going to be honest, Michael, I think everybody is all over the world and the government. Governments can't deal with all these costs, but they certainly need to assist as much as possibly can to take some of the pressures off and to relieve some of the, the, the ongoing cost of living as well hmm. uh, by, by, by addressing service costs. But as well as that, we have to understand and try to make sure that we we'll protect uh, our own budgets as well, that we can still borrow money, but that we can invest in services, and invest, invest in capital expenditure and invest in our economy, which I think is the one positive that's very strong here. Is that last week we've confirmed over two and a half million people at work. So that's, and it's, that'll help people if the economy is going well and people are at work. It will be a major assistance and it gives the government finances to be able to respond to assist families. But it's to, we need to work out now the best way to reach those families in need in most need, over the next couple of months. And that's what we will do, building on the packages that were announced already since, since ele- in mm. the last few months of mm. over £2.5 billion as well.
4: Yeah, and it's a lot of money, and there's no disputing that. Uh, as you say, uh, £2.5 billion already already... Uh, being put in to try and help people cover these costs. And a a lot of uh, the increases in costs are out of uh, the government's control and out of the control of governments uh, across Europe and beyond. Uh, But how bad might it it get if the government can't cover all of these costs? uh, What might that mean for people?
1: The difficulty, Michael, here is, uh, you know, we've probably come through 10 years of, Practically zero inflation in most cases, most costs, with low interest rates for mortgages as well. You know, uh, people had other difficulties trying to deal with the the outcome of the financial crisis a couple of years ago. But in terms of cost base, there wasn't much changes. So it's all coming at the same time now over the last seven or eight months. It it was caused, you know, started with Brexit, uh, really put pressure on because of COVID. But then the war in Ukraine has really uh, added to to the problems here for everybody. So the whole supply chain in terms of products is completely... I was thinking and that's a major issue. But a lot of the issue here is around energy costs. Um, and again, you know, we, we have t- taken some very serious uh, sanctions on, on Russia and that's, you know, to, to, to try to help all those in Ukraine and, and push Russia back mm. away from a war. But that does come with a cost to, to ourselves every other country as well. The energy situation, you know, in some cases, the, the supply of energy has been has been ramped up, uh, which uh, coming out of COVID, that was due to happen anywhere. We would have predicted before the war in Ukraine that energy costs would have been coming back down from July this year onwards. Now that's not happening because of Ukraine and Russia, but that supply is increasing in other areas. So that might bring some relief towards the back end of the year. But you have we have to assume for now that it won't. And um, so what we'll focus on now with the budget is so so
0: the initial, you know
1: the, the response in the last four or five months was around trying to that two hundred euro energy credit, which was a major assistance to all households. food. Mm. The extra hundred and twenty five of fuel allowance. So if you're on fuel, fuel allowance you have seen an increase of about 50% compared to last year in that assistance, which is a, a major help. But again, it's fair to say, Michael, it doesn't cover all the increase in the energy costs. We have brought the VAT down, we have brought the X-ray duty down on petrol and diesel, and we have to look at that again to see how best to intervene. But for, for myself and our work, with in say, in, in Fine Gael, in focusing the shape of the of the budget now, along with the Pina and the Greens, we're going to focus on trying to reduce the cost, uh, the, you know, the cost of mm. actually living. So we're going to focus on trying to reduce childcare uh, costs, which will probably be in, in the line of universal childcare subsidies to increase that again, reduce public transport again, or keep mm. that 20, mm. 20% reduction as possible as possible we possibly can. The childcare, even yesterday, you know, we was we confirmed that the, the removal of um, hospital charges for under 16 years, which is a major assistance as well, the drug repayments amounted down to eighty euro. Amount of one state it was one hundred and forty. So there are little things that will help. And I think the best way we can try to address uh, an, an inflationary problem is hitting at all the different costs that are affecting us where mm. we can and where government have influence. Because you're right, we can't control the cost of energy. Long term, we hope to be able to address that. By mm, but it, oil, oil. It, it's
4: not just energy, of course, Minister. It's across the board. And every time energy increases, so does the price of spaghetti. And every time the price of spaghetti increases, so does the price of wages, yeah. and, and so on. Yeah, uh, the price of a, a, a brown slice pan is up by seventeen point four percent. Spaghetti by nineteen point three percent. A two and a half kilo bag of potatoes by twenty eight and a half mm. cent. Uh, and when you look at these kind of uh, of increases and think that inflation is going to add to inflation and so on and if government has not got the ability to cover all of these increases to help people with all of the increased costs what might that mean for people will it mean that they won't be able to heat their homes
1: uh, to be honest Michael I, I, I think right, what, what's important here though, compared to say, other difficult periods of inflation is that we have so many people at work and we have to make sure that that always pays and try to work on the terms and conditions and improve uh, the situation for those who are at work in terms of minimum wage going mm. up, the living wage the rates coming into government. But go you know, a Minister,
4: a lot of people are low-paid or, or, or... Yeah,
1: but, but, but sorry, Michael, that, that's my point. So or are not yeah. getting
4: full-time work. They're on lower income Yeah, so, yeah mm. but
1: but again, Michael, it's fair to say that, that a high number of that 2.5 million people at work are on good-paying conditions and are well above the minimum wage. About 10% of people are less. be on the minimum wage others are in in wages are still not high enough but i mean there's a we see a response from industry response from public sector around wages as well we have to make sure that there's a tax package that that again deals with some of those the tax credit like like the last budget Mm. so if you're working and you get an increase of three or four percent in the wages that is not gobbled up by tax that's something that's very important to me because i want to always encourage more and more jobs to be created and more and more jobs to be failed. That's that's number one. But are we talking about Cambridge. people going
4: to work with holes in their shoes, no, might, or, or not, not not able to go yeah. for a pint at the weekend, or not able to 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 heat their homes? And yeah. if that's the case, uh, that's the case. And it yeah. may be out it may be out of the government's control, but I think people would like to know what they're facing into.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't think we're facing into that. It is fair to say there are some families under extreme pressure and we try to reach them and target interventions as best we possibly can. We've discussed them before, Michael, there's more individual support as well beyond the general and, that, and there's some very difficult situations out there. For, for quite a lot of people, it's the extra pressure on the budget and eroding uh, their ability to, to pay some of the extra costs of any disposable income and we need to try to protect the, their wages as well. So there's two interventions here. It's to help those who are under extreme pressure just to meet the cost and pay the bills at the end of every week. And then those who need to have a little bit extra to pay for some of the the, the extras and have some disposal income. Because if you're working hard all week and you're under a lot of pressure, you want to try to be able to have more than just cover the bill. So they're the interventions we have to make Mm. here. And we will, and we we can assist people. And I I don't think it will go, it'll end up the way you're painting it there. But that's, important for us now to get mm. our budget right.
4: But we are oh, already monster hearing monster of families monster. in extreme circumstances.
1: We, we, we are, Michael. And look, I, I'm a TV who meet people every day of the week in our clinics and I'm dealing with those families who come to me now who are under extreme pressure and need extra assistance in drawing down support and entitlements. Mm. And, and, and I and said it before and I will say it again, there are extra supports there for families who are in those extreme situations. It's not the nicest of conversations but it's one that has to be had. And any family that are under extreme pressure, like they do portray there, they need to engage with the services, they need to come forward to myself or many others in all parties of TVs as well to get assistance or to engage with mm. the services that are there to help them. And it's important that they would do that because they're entitled to that extra help and that's what they're there for. Mm. Then on the overall thing, the government response has to see how can we deal with these inflationary costs in education by, by reducing the cost of education, reducing the cost of healthcare, mm. again, dealing with, with uh, increases in health payments, trying to protect those at work and to make sure that it's worth their while, reducing public transport. And I think childcare is a big issue, and we have put a lot of extra money in, into into, into childcare over the last couple of years, but we have to make sure now that parents feel that in their pockets, as well as making sure that those in the industry are paid enough. And that's why some of the work I'm doing is around the, the, child care, the, the, the labour court childcare committee, which is looking at the wages, looking at the, the retention rate in those services, the qualifications, and making sure that as a sector, we have top. We can protect the quality that's there, but make sure people get well paid and that the parents are able to afford it as well. So that'll again mm. reduce some of the costs. Well, so but, but you, I think we can help here, last. But, mm. uh, but I'm just. I mean, my, what I'm saying. That I'm not, I can't promise that government can deal with every inflation we cause, but we can intervene and have done. Mm. And already we've seen a, a two and a half billion package and you'll
4: see more than that. OK, but what, what, what about a, a four billion euro package, uh, which was suggested by Oxfam? Uh, uh, and the context for that is that parents are, are going without meat in their dinner uh, and eating the sauce so that the children don't realise how bad things are or they're not turning on the heat. Or um, they're going without clothing or uh, other uh, things, uh, and certainly can forget about holidays or new clothes for that matter. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Oxfam suggested that there would be a 1.5% tax on wealth over €4 million, and that would give €4 billion to the government.
1: Mm. So so again, Michael, these are the choices now that we're working on. The budget work probably started a month ago in all our departments, and we'll be working on this now over June, July, August to have it ready for September and for sanction in October. And that's exactly what we have to look at to see what is, you know, what kind of a package do you bring forward? I mean, it's, it's been a significant budget package already at 2.4 billion, but it's going to be significant again. Mm. Now, whether that will be 3 billion, 4 billion, 5 billion, I can't confirm that to you today. But that's the work. But would that be fair, that.
4: Given, given the extreme so, wealth that some people have in this country and how some people are in extreme poverty, that there would be a wealth on tax so that those in poverty could come out of those dire situations?
1: Yeah, and, and Michael, again, a lot of the work that happens in the government is to deal with that imbalance. And I think it's well recognised that Ireland has a very progressive uh, tax system that those are on, on higher money, higher income, do pay significantly much more of tax and pay, pay a lot. I would say to you, if you take the average person today, the average way to recognise that the CSO, independent of government, uh, is just on the nine hundred euro uh, a week. Mm. But if anybody in that money earns more than that, they pay about 50% plus in tax, maybe 55%. Now, that's a deterrent for those who do extra work. Well, but most people
4: don't earn price. anywhere well, near that, Minister.
1: I, I've just given you what the average is. Oh, I know
4: that. But that, <laughs> but, but, but you I'm know happy. you, you know how an average is calculated. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and I totally recognise, Michael, that there's I, many that earn less than that. Yeah. But I, I, I'm making the point that when we're doing a budget, we have to have very tight. But only
4: uh, l- l- less than 20%, uh, I'm not sure what the figure is now, but a few years ago, it was 17% of the workforce were on the higher rate of income tax, which gives a, an idea of how many low earners there are in this country.
1: Yeah. Uh, all I'm saying, Michael, is those who are on the averaging uh, very quickly and end up into the higher tax so what I'm trying to say is here ah, But by 20, Minister the,
4: the, the average income is not reflective of what people are earning and that's the yeah. point point. Uh, and you know yeah. that that is the case that that yeah. is an average which is calculated from people who are earning 20000 yeah. uh, so, and those who are earning uh, 200000 200, yeah, and you so come much. somewhere in the middle and you end up with this average uh, and yeah. that's not reflective of what right. people are actually earning but most people case, don't earn anywhere near that
1: Okay Michael, just to find out so just to be clear here, we're, I'm in agreement with you Mm. that, first of all, we have to target those who are uh, vulnerable to extreme poverty, who are on fixed incomes and need extra assistance. And uh, and the system in Ireland generally is recognised to be quite good at that because, again, the international surveys which deal with with property reduction effects show that Ireland manages, because of our social transfers and our social protection budget, that we do reduce that kind of at risk of poverty from about 40% down to about 11%. So it's recognised in Ireland we do that Quite well. We need to see can we push that further. Is there more intervention needed to reach those families who are under extreme pressure Mm. and protect them in the year ahead? As well as recognising there's many people who are at work and who are on reasonable wages, as you would say, uh, be the average or less, who also are under extreme pressure to pay all the bills. And we have to make sure that they're not squeezed even more. So we, and, we do need a decent budget package Well, here, many people, will, many people who
4: are under pressure will come under more pressure from next month with the increase in interest rates, uh, and then again from September. Uh, is, is there any logic in having a mini-budget? Why wait till October?
1: Yeah, and and I hear that quite a lot, Michael. In effect, we've had a mini-budget. Like A a, a budget, very often, any budget package, package, the annual budget might only be one or two billion of a package. We've already had a 2.4 billion package. So we've gone beyond a mini-budget at this stage, to be honest with you. And you're now into preparing a budget. And there's two reasons here. Uh, Your quick response in the early part of the year was to be a quick response, to take some of the immediate pressure off. But now you have to very carefully analyse how do you get the best bone Best, best moment for taxpayers' money here, by targeting those who need it most, as well as targeting reduction in costs that affect everybody universally, education, childcare, healthcare, hospitals, around that. We need to target them. And at the same time, the go- job of government is to make sure we're not adding to inflation and that you're not spending money in the wrong area, which, which drives costs up in, in more as well. So this is a balancing act, and that's why you have a budget where every department feeds into this to get the best result. Uh, and that's, we're all contributing to that now, and you will see the outcome of that in, in a couple of months. And that will be in time to protect people coming into the autumn and into next spring. But bear in mind, what is what will help us in our budget is that, thankfully, there's quite a large jobs recovery coming out of COVID. And people are at work. Some are on low wages, some are middle wages, higher wages, but there's a lot of people at work. Mm. And that does increase the taxes available to government to use to respond in targeted ways. And that's my job now Michael and I'm happy to discuss with Richard we need Mm -hmm. to focus in on those things as well and a big part of that will be to reduce the cost of living for everybody, take the cost out of living, which is reducing the cost of education, healthcare, childcare as well as very targeted interventions like like fuel allowance, tax credits they're all very key to make this happen it's the balance we want here because we're under significant pressure with inflation. I mean, the figures you're talking, 7-8%, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. coming yeah. on the back of 10 years of low inflation, have put everybody under pressure, and we need to be able to tackle that as well. You know,
4: Okay, Minister.
1: Well, I I'm going to touch on the, on, mm. the, on the hospital. As you know, we have a big discussion, a big debate on the hospital next Monday, which is the first of many meetings around the, the future of NAB and hospital. But I'm listening to people telling me the hospital is closing in June, or A&E is closing in June. I want to be very clear. That's not happening. Uh, and Minister Donnelly has been very clear on that. Um, for a long number of years now, uh, there is there is uh, a desire by some people in the hospital group and the, and, and HSE to make changes in Avon Hospital. Minister Donnelly was very clear last year, and I was very clear too last October that that is not planned to happen. It is not happening. And what's happening on Monday is a look into the the future of a hospital. There are some there that want to see changes. There are others that argue back. I'd be one that would say. NAVA needs to be increased services, not decreased. So, but this, this rumour that's going around that it's all going to happen in a week or two weeks, that's not true. Uh, and I think, I think it's important that, that that's put to bed. Um, and that we will be able to come on, hopefully, next week and the week after to, to discuss more with you, following on from the discussion on Monday, which I hope you're part of, mm. because that was my ask, that the media would be at that meeting on Monday where we discuss the future of Navan Hospital. But it's, it's not a case to say that it's changing on the 20th of June or 30th of June. That's not the case. And Minister Donovan is very like clear on that because he told the HSE, no, that's not the way it works. If they want to make changes there, they have to convince all of us that it's for the best health reasons and the best health outcomes. I know when you're convinced of that, and listen to this for 10 years, I pushed back through my time in government to make sure there's been no changes. made to that because I don't believe that our our numbers going to Navan Hospital can be accommodated anywhere else, so we're not in a position for those changes. But that's what will be discussed okay. on Monday and will go on there.
4: A bit. All right. Well, that message I'm sure has been heard loud and clear and far and wide, Minister. And I'm sure we'll be hearing it much more, as you say, uh, on Monday and indeed uh, across uh, the course of uh, next week. And thank you, indeed, uh, for joining us this morning. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for time. Junior Minister Damien English is uh, Finnegal TD for Meath West.
3: Michael Michael Reed Reed on LMFM.
4: Well, we'll stay with uh, that increase in inflation and indeed uh, the Consumer Price Index showing prices increasing by 7.8% in the year to May of 22. No surprise, perhaps, to St. Vincent de Paul, they've been fielding a lot of calls, 20% more, in fact, than on the same time last year. Rose McGowan is uh, the national president of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and on the line with us. Good morning to you, Rose, and thank you indeed All for right. joining us. When I say a lot of calls, I think some people might be surprised or shocked even to hear that was 78,000 calls for help.
8: Yeah, and 70, like we're only at the beginning of June as such and uh, for a full year last year we had nearly 190,000 so <laughs> we're heading up and up and up, nice. um, which is worrying. Um, now look, we'll feel the calls and we'll certainly, no matter who's looking for help, that's what we're about and we'll be there, mm. but it is worrying um, you know, inflation is, is kind of hitting the roof and uh, we will be concerned for people and obviously I mean look at every news bulletin has rents energy you know Mm. the cost of everything has gone up but I suppose our big concern is that while all of those things have gone up and we're trying to deal with that with people Like, it has a knock-on effect in other ways. You know, people are stressed, people have health conditions. So it's constant, like it's not just maybe not having enough money to pay the energy bill, you know. Mm. It has a knock-on effect on people's lives every day. Um, I was with a woman um, last week and she said to me, and she would rarely come to us, maybe twice a year. She said, I used to say to you, I hate Christmas. Um, because they've young children and she'd want to do the best for them she said I hate every day now and that's you know when you're in a house with somebody and you hear her saying that you immediately know aside from wondering where the next meal is coming from um, like she's hugely stressed about it all like she said the children are home they'll be home now at the end of June mm. for the summer Um, like when they're in school they get meals in school they get lunches things like that it's going to happen for the whole of the summer now i suppose for me personally and for um, the volunteers like in an Ireland of 2022 the people are short of food so we come down to a real basic that people are phoning us looking for food they're going to our food banks you know we're yeah. we're giving vouchers for you know all of the supermarkets um and that, to me, is horrendous in an Ireland of
4: 2022. 20, yeah, it's a, a tale of have and have-nots, isn't it? A tale of two cities, if you like, uh, because uh, there's some very wealthy, exceptionally wealthy people in, in uh, the country. and uh, There's been that suggestion from Oxfam uh, of a 1.5% tax on wealth over £4 million. That would result in £4 billion for the Exchequer. I was just discussing that with Minister Damien English a, a moment ago, and how impoverished other people are in this country and how it's hard to balance the two at the same time in the same country in the same year. Um, do you believe that... And I suppose what we would say is, yeah,
8: um, and we've said it in our statement, that social welfare rates should act as a lifeline mm. and they, we should be keeping people on low and fixed income. Like lots of people that are coming to us, it's not all people on social welfare. <laughs> you know, honestly, mm. we <coughs> excuse me, I suppose mm. have a living wage. Like, there are lots of people coming who have never come before, right. and that would be a, a huge concern for us. Mm. These people are working, um, uh, lots of people in, in both low-paid jobs and medium-paid jobs, and just can't afford. I mean, there's mortgages, mm. there's cars, Yeah. So you know,
4: energy. and I, I suppose that was the that, that was the the point I was going to put yeah. to you was that it, the government has done a, a lot in fairness to the government. No, I mean, absolutely. It, it's, it's a two and a half billion euro package. But if people are going to work with holes in their shoes, uh, is there more they can do, or can they come at it from a, a different way?
8: <laughs> I suppose uh, what we feel is that you know our social protection system. It has to make it more resilient so that, you know, that it's if there's shocks, you know, um, there's allowing people. I suppose we'd be saying, look, it has to be there to support people, whether you're working or whether you're on social welfare for, for whatever reasons. Um, but also people are entitled, we would say. Uh, to live with dignity, and I totally agree with you. Look, as there has been measures. The government have introduced measures, and we have supported those. And you know, it has helped people. There's, uh, you know, and we wouldn't criticise that mm. part of it.
4: Yeah, I think you recognised it in your statement for that matter. Yeah.
8: Oh no, mm. absolutely. Mm. Like, you know, well, I do, if they hadn't, I don't know where we would be, and I don't know where people mm. would be like at at this stage Mm -hmm. you know but I think you know budget time is coming up we will launch in two or three weeks we're working on it at the moment we will launch in two or three weeks our pre-budget
4: statement Mm -hmm. like you know Uh, and do you think um, do you think people can hang on that long uh, until October or until the measures are introduced and a lot of them won't be till January
8: yeah I I, I don't (laughs) To be honest, I don't think so, you know, yeah. um, and I don't know, obviously, what way the government are thinking, whether they will bring in, um, you know, changes bit by bit. Um, you know, sometimes that happens, you know, they announce something and, the, and then the, the rate doesn't come in until, say, the following January or March or whenever. Yeah. But uh, I do think we can't have people living... I mean, as you said, our calls in the first half, like, this isn't even the cold season. We haven't got to the back to school. We haven't got into the winter, you know. So, uh, you know, our calls are up 20% in the first, in in the lighter half of the year, which would be normally lighter for us, you know. Mm. Um, And just people, I suppose... Our big concern is people's mental health issue as well. Like, it's adding to that, you know. Now, obviously, people's concern is to have money to put food on the table, to pay bills, etc. But we see in the people we're visiting, when you're sitting with people, when you're listening to them, you see it in their face. Like, Mm. I mean, but somebody can say to me, I dread every day. Mm. So I can just imagine that that she's not sleeping at night, which she did say how do you even get out of the bed in the morning and think, oh my God, am I going to be able to feed my children? Like, you know, and these are people who might have only come twice a year maybe once a year. She's not somebody that would have had to come a lot of times, like, mm, you know. Yeah. So it's affecting everybody. As I say, we have people, some middle-income people coming to us now, which is correct. And um, I mean, our, our mantra, and my, since I took over as national president, the only reason to come to us is need. And I would say that to everybody. You are not to be stuck. That is what the society is here. And the Irish people, I mean, the public have been so good to us all, during Covid, with yeah. fundraising and donations. So like we are there to help and I would want people to hear that loud and clear. Yeah. But like it's just it's the stress that rents, bills and everything, like, you know, I know yeah. putting on people. Like, oh, it's, really, it's really terribly
4: weird. depressing, absolutely. It is yeah, depressing. Yeah, yeah. It is mm.
8: depressing. Yeah. And I suppose for us, like, you go into a house and you come out and you say, oh, thank God, <laughs> there for the grace of God. Mm. Um, you know, but I see it in my own home. Like, I saw it recently in a. In a uh, getting oil in my own house. So, yeah, think like, the, you, you see it in your own bills, yeah. like, you know, I'm paying bills like everybody else. Yeah. So,
4: everybody uh, everybody is feeling it. Uh, some uh, started feeling it sooner than others, of course, oh, that, uh, and, yeah. and the pinch is just too tight for yeah. some at the yeah. moment.
8: But when you think mm. of a, a 20% increase in calls in the first half yeah. of the year, you know,
4: yeah.
8: <laughs> what are we going to be like by the end of the year? And then, as you know, the we calls be increase, the,
4: percent, the percentage will increase along with it, undoubtedly. Well,
8: absolutely, because yeah, yeah. we're coming into the winter, like, yeah, and we're yeah. coming into, you know, yeah. uh, back to school. Um, you know, and yeah. that's a huge uh, cost back to school. So it's more pressure. Yeah. But um, and as I say, look, it's a combination of everything: it's yeah. rent, it's energy, it's food. But I'm hugely concerned yeah. that um, I'm a long time in this society. And while originally we might have been helping with food years and years ago to help people budget, now we're bringing food, uh, we're giving vouchers or they're going to food banks because they haven't got the money to to buy food. Now, you know, I have a huge problem with that.
4: I know, I know. Uh, Thankfully, St. Vincent de Paul is there, or or unfortunately, (laughs) if you don't mind me saying, uh, because it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, when you think of all of the wealthy people in in the country and the distribution of wealth, uh, unfortunately, in some ways, St. Vincent de Paul has to be there. Uh, But uh, thankfully, St. Vincent de Paul is there when people find themselves uh, in such a a situation. Uh, And uh, it's something, as you say, and you sounded very keen to let people know that if they're in need, you're there for them. Uh, and also, as St. Vincent de Paul, uh, is there people want to contribute to help people uh, who are less well off, of course?
8: I'm absolutely, mm. like Pete, and, and it is hard, and I recognize mm. it can be hard to come to us, but it is much better to come at the start of, a, of an issue than you know when it builds up and builds up, and then you know you're mm. the person is stressed, we're trying to solve a bigger issue, so mm. don't be afraid to come, is what I'm saying, and yeah, I mean. The public can always donate, and we're so grateful. Like you know, okay. but look at what we would be saying. You know, social welfare has to act as a lifeline. You know, it has to keep people um, able to live. You know, yeah. okay. and it's it's the only way to protect people.
4: Rose, thank you indeed for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Much okay. appreciate it. Thank, thank, thank you. you indeed. That's Rose McGowan, who is uh, the national president of uh, the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul.
3: Michael, Michael Reed on
4: LMFM. Well, the border, Brexit, the protocol, all remain uncertain. Let's speak once again to Paddy Malone of uh, Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, Paddy. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, would you rule out completely, a hundred percent, a hard border on this island uh, as things stand?
0: I wouldn't, Michael. Unfortunately, I've got to be realistic about it. This reality. Um, to to get a marriage, to get an agreement, to get something to work, you need two parties that are both willing to listen to each other and then wish, willing to compromise. And, you know, I mean, Boris has proven that, you know, he signed an illegal agreement, he committed himself to doing some things, and in the last two years of trying to work out how to do it, they have not shown any ability to engage in a constructive dialogue with people. Mm. You know, I heard Jeffrey Donaldson said that we were tone deaf in the South. I think the problem in the North is they're deaf, and the politicians are, and they should really listen to the business community. I mean, Northern Ireland businesses are actually winning. and We, we said that they would, that putting Northern Ireland in this unique position of being both inside the UK, uh, internal market as they would see it, and in, in, inside the EU, European Union market, that it would be a win-win situation for them. And so it has proved. So, I mean... Um, the leadership uh, on the union side is what's lacking, and people should listen to the business community. The European Union went out of its way to make an exception to mm. all the rules in relation to the single market, um, and the concessions they conceded were enough to make this work. Yeah. So it's, hard, it's very hard to listen to, to people who have not tried.
4: Yeah, well, it it seemed as though they were going to um, rewrite the protocol or um, change it unilaterally. Um, Now it seems as though um, they're going to make it possible for a government to do that at some time in the future. And it seems in making this change, Boris Johnson has managed to annoy everybody because he had annoyed most people, but now the DUP are annoyed and they're not happy and what is about to be brought to Westminster next week will not appease the DUP and they will not take their seats in Stormont.
0: No, I mean, the man is kicking a stone down the road and he's never going to reach the end of it is the way it's done. The mechanism that if he wanted to bring this to a sharp conclusion would be to trigger Article 16 and actually force the EU and, and the UK into uh, a high-powered negotiation and reaching in the settlement. But he hasn't. It has suited him that this is dragged on, that he can blame the Brexit for all, that he can mm-hmm. blame the uh, European Union for not implementing things properly and he can distract people and the ECG group or whatever it's called, and the hard-wing, hard-right-wing, the Tory party, can play to that gallery. I mean, it's hiding the reality of the situation that the economic reports have proven that only Northern Ireland and London uh, have actually won out of Brexit, and even London's a question mark. Mm. Um, so the reality of the situation is completely different on the ground. But unfortunately, you have a number of ideologues that are not prepared to listen to what business are saying on the ground or what, they, what, 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 what the ordinary people on the mm. ground understand. And if you look at Northern Ireland, the majority of people did not vote for Brexit the majority of people did not vote for Brexit MPs or MLAs. Mm. So, I mean, the majority is there in one direction. The business community is in the same direction. There are protocols. I listened to one British minister saying that, you know, if Sainsbury was sending in a pallet, why does it have to go through a process? The answer is, it doesn't. Under the, under the agreements, if the goods are designated for Northern Ireland and they, they, um, it, there's a, uh, a, 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 a declaration made to that effect, the goods go straight through. Mm. And in the case of those sort of companies, that's easy. Where the problem arises is not with the Sainsbury's that are selling a single container with nothing but Sainsbury's product in it that will go to Sainsbury's shops in the north. Mm. The problem arises when a, 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 a pallet comes in and there might be 20 different pallets from 20 different companies, some going into the Europe, potentially going into the south, some yeah. may not, that has to be broken down, that has to be examined mm. that's where the area because is Because when it
4: comes into the south it's coming into the european union it's correct the equivalent of it going to Germany or France or, France or wherever or
0: anywhere yeah. else yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I mean I mean I was listening to people yesterday talking to BBC uh, a guy who wants to import uh, fruit and vegetables into Northern Ireland. he can import from Holland through Dublin into Belfast with no problem and no paperwork. Mm. If he wants to import from the from mainland Britain, he does have some paperwork to go through, and the problem, and I can speak from experience in this and dealing in, as as somebody who's dealt with intertrade on this, British people, British companies were not advised as to how to process this pro, the, the, the paperwork at the beginning. No effort was made to explain it to them. Boris, on one occasion on TV, said, "This is what you do with the EU forms," and he put them in a bin. That is not the way to address issues. You've got to tell people the truth and say, if you're going to do this, you have to fill in certain forms. Mm. But once you get into a process, or once the process has been set up, it looks after itself. And what we should be doing is, and, and if, if Jeffrey Donaldson has proper suggestions yeah. that can actually move this thing on, then let him say it. Well, and uh, I don't uh, think you'll find Coveney uh, sure. uh, or Radcore or me yeah. or Martin deaf. No,
4: otherwise. no, no, but you may be wasting your breath asking him to say it uh, uh, that, and that's the problem uh, and I suppose the fear is if this whole thing goes belly up I mean, it's going to impact everyone in every corner of this island and further uh, afield uh, but particularly so along the border uh, Will you speak to members of the chamber are are, are they nervous now?
0: No are worried um, they've seen the protocol walk They've seen the whole system w- working exceptionally well. They know that the European Union is on our side. And I'm actually speaking to you from the DKT this morning, and I remember when um, we had an, an EU conference here recently. Uh, it was great to have Barney here and uh, being able to say that, you know, the European Union is committed to us 100%. That hasn't changed in the last three years. But we are, we, we, businesses are realistic enough in the, in the South to realise that all the pledging from the north that there won't be a hard border from the Westminster it's the reality of what they do that's important and they've not shown enough flexibility on the northern side to actually come to a deal Lord Frost literally froze the, uh, all communications and all negotiations for two months by coming in with the same mantra time and time again not listening not responding in any shape or form to any sort of effort I mean and 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 to process it's been politicised. And as, as I say, politics, it should have nothing to do with the economic side of things. Um, it should be allowed to, to run its course and, and, and give Northern Ireland the advantages that it now has. And that the business community, and to a certain extent, the, 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 the population, like, it voted in favour in 2016. It voted against Brexit in 2016. It has been consistent with its voting on the MLAs and everything else since then. Same message. So the electorate is fairly clear-cut, and, and the problem is it's the politicians that are not listening to it properly. Okay. And they're mm. stoking up spurious arguments about uh, sovereignty and all the rest of
4: it. Yeah, yeah it's about identity. It's got nothing but to do be with sovereignty, mm.
0: and it's mm. be, that's got to mm. be stressed over and over again. And I'm glad to see that uh, for the last couple of months that Northern Ireland Business and Northern Ireland Manufacturing and a few, and a few other organisations are at long last expressing their voice and expressing what they've been saying to us privately and actually coming out and saying it publicly. Because I I would be critical of Northern Ireland Business in the past for not being the leader that they should have been. But it is changing.
4: Okay. Nervous, though.
0: And that's the only hope I have, that this thing will eventually resolve
4: itself. Well, <laughs> that's a, a, a hopeful uh, scenario um, because there's a lot of uncertainty. Paddy, we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for Very joining morning. us as well. Paddy Malone from uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk.
3: Michael Reed on, on LMFM. the people
4: in touch with us today. Let's hear what you have been saying. If you're one of uh, the people who's been on the phone or texting, WhatsApping, and so on, Sheila was on the phone, and Sheila says uh, that everything is going up in price. She's really noticed the difference doing her shopping, uh, and her uh, solution to it, to some degree at least, is to shop around. Um, she says she'd urge you to do the same. Because she's found that you can get different food items for different prices in different supermarkets. In one supermarket, her weekly shopping bill has gone up by about €8. Euro. In another supermarket, it has gone up as well, but not by €8, euro, by five fifty. So there's a saving to be had there. Thanks uh, for sharing that with us, Sheila. Uh, another call then from Maraid, who is in Drogheda. And Mraide says, we can't wait for the budget before the government does something to help people. I can really notice the difference in what I've left over at the end of the week after I pay my bills and everything else for that matter. What are we going to do when the summer is over and we have the huge cost of heating our homes? It's going to be a real struggle. We need some kind of relief. What about getting rid of the USC? Thanks for that suggestion, Mraide, and indeed for your call to the programme. Sean is in Navin and he's been on to his about the hospital, uh, because uh, we were speaking to Damien English, and the minister was saying it's not going to close anytime soon. Uh, Sean says it's all very well saying it'll be the best thing for patients if they close the A and D in the hospital which seems to be the rhetoric coming from some quarters but how can that be the case when hospitals are bursting at the seams and emergency departments in other hospitals are struggling to cope with the numbers as it is Our Lady of Lurds in Drogheda and Blanchardstown are continuously under pressure as far as I can see. It will be a very bad day for Navin and indeed Mead if this is what happens, says Sean. And thank you for sharing that uh, with us, Sean, and for your call to the programme. Anne, thanks as well uh, for taking the time to call us today. Anne says, it's all well and good for politicians to tell us to trust them, to navigate us through the pending economic problems, but many of them have no idea of how tough things really are for a lot of people. They're literally living hand to mouth at the minute, uh, and these coming increases will tip them over the edge. The politicians are on good salaries, and because of that they can never truly understand how difficult life is for some who don't have that kind of income Thomas has been in touch as well and Thomas says the price of everything is going through the roof and there's no sign of that changing anytime soon it won't be long before people are not able to get to work because they cannot afford to run their cars people are already struggling to pay their energy bills and put food on the table and we'll see our young people leave the country in droves in the years to come because There'll be nothing for them here, nothing to entice them to stay in the country. Thanks uh, for that, Thomas, as well. Uh, thanks to uh, to the caller who sent a message on WhatsApp saying, you used to hear about people who had thousands of euro. Now it's millions. Uh, and uh, all of this seems unreal uh, because it's impossible for me to live at times, says our caller. Uh, We had Michael, I think, in Navin, uh, in touch, who says uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy from politicians and it's sickening. Why don't they reduce their overpaid salaries and get uh, a a bit of backbone uh, and tax the rich? It would go a long way towards solving the poverty problems that we have in in this country. Uh, But Michael seems to think that they won't do that because it would affect their friends. Uh, we'd Margaret's in touch with us as, as well, and Margaret says, "Can you ask uh, Damien English about the hospital?" I think this came in when we were speaking uh, to Damien English, uh, and I, I hope uh, you were happy with uh, the answer, Margaret, because I think uh, the minister had. Uh, something similar to say uh, in in terms of uh, your comment, she says, why should me the patients put up with being herded into already overcrowded Dublin hospitals left languishing on trolleys? I've already had to wait over 16 hours in an A&E in Dublin and I had to wait almost three hours to have a breast MRI in a centre of excellence and I'm a breast cancer patient. Thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, Margaret. Uh, I think the Minister said it's not going to close anytime soon. We'll be getting some clarity on all of that next week. Uh, we'd aim in no party in touch saying, Michael, €10 Euro out of every 50 of fuel goes in VAT. Uh, so the government should cut that tax now. Uh, of course, the government did a, a lot to bring down uh, the price of fuel. Uh, we were talking about tractors holding up traffic a little bit earlier on with the IFA. Dave was in touch with us then. He says what about uh, slow moving cyclists who are are cycling in groups and holding up lines of traffic? Why not uh, apply uh, some rules to them? Thanks uh, Dave for that. Well as you know there's a lot going on in America at the moment about uh, Donald Trump and indeed uh, the attack, the riots on uh, the American Capitol back on January 6th, and the Select Committee on Investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has started to hold public meetings. Uh, it was aired on television last night, and the committee's chair is Benny Thompson. Donald
7: Trump lost the presidential election in 2020. The American people voted him out of office. It was not because of a rigged system. It was not because of voter fraud. Don't believe me. Hear what his former attorney general had to say about it. I warn those who watching that
4: this contains strong language. Mm, It does contain strong language, as Benny Thompson. Uh, Warned you, Uh, and as he told you, this is uh, the former Attorney General William Barr. No, just what I've I've been through. I've had I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November twenty-third,
7: one was on December first, and one was on December fourteenth. And I've been through sort of the give and take of those discussions and in that context i made it clear i did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff which i told the president was bullshit and uh you know i didn't want to be a part of it and that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when i did i observed uh, I think it was on december 1st that you know how can we you can't live in a world where where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific
4: evidence that the election that there was fraud in the election right no ordinary witness uh the former attorney general legal advisor to the government william barr uh, not mincing his words uh, in terms of how he advised donald trump donald trump had his days in court to challenge the results he was within
7: his rights to seek those judgment. In the United States, law-abiding citizens have those tools for pursuing justice. He lost in the courts, just as he did at the ballot box. And in this country, that's the end of the line.
4: And they went on to say it was a coup uh, and uh, a subversive move by the ex-president, Donald Trump. We'll be hearing much more about that over the coming weeks. That's our programme for this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye.
3: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael
4: at lmfm.ie.